welcome to What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Today's going to be a short show a bit here, so I've let Dana off to her own devices, but we'll catch up with her soon enough. But not to delay, let's go ahead and get this show started. And again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing, Sisva. Let's start the show off with our first cup. Which I've already had my first cup of coffee, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> We're going to get through a bunch of news today on the show. And that's really about all. Uh, it might be a, a quick show today. And just so you know, uh, if I don't say it at the end, there won't be a show on Friday. With Thursday being a holiday, I won't be in the office on Friday also. Uh, so I'll be away from all the equipment. But we'll pick back up after this show with next week, Tuesday. But on we go with the news. First up, something from Federal Student Aid. This is a reminder that your FISAP edit corrections are due December 15th. So FISAP is our, you know, fiscal operations report and application to participate form that has to be submitted. Uh, it was already submitted, but you have time to make corrections until December 15th. Usually that might just be, Slight updates to information about aid that was dispersed during the 2020-2021 season and some other updates like that. But the FISAP is a report that's done every year for schools that participate in Federal Work Study and FSEOG. And I guess those who may still have Perkins loan balances on the books. But just so you know, um, you do have until December 15th to go back into the system, make any adjustments, review any validation edits and errors and such i'll give you the link to the electronic uh announcement here that came out just a couple days ago in our show notes the other announcement guess you know for the 2021-22 season of financial aid federal student aid has released volume two of their handbook this is the school eligibility and operations section so again, it's available as a digital version online, and you can also access and download a PDF version of the handbook. So this was an electronic announcement that, again, came out end of last week, but just to let you know, Volume 2 is out and available. Uh, I think this gives us 1, 2, and 4. So slowly they're filling in all six handbook volumes for the current school year. Yes, uh, for those who wonder... Yes, a handbook doesn't always come out before the school year, but there are very minimal changes from year to year that we have to really worry about. Last thing from Federal Student Aid as an electronic announcement made back on November 1st was that the 2022-2023 Federal School Code List of Participating Schools was released. So... This is a list that contains unique codes assigned 
by the Department of Ed for all the schools that participate in Title IV federal student aid programs. So these are the codes that schools or students, I should say, can enter on their federal aid forms, their FAFSAs, uh, as far as schools to receive the results of their FAFSA results. Now, school or students can still get searched and enter school names, but all schools have a six-digit code assigned to them. I think some may have letters to start like a G or an E, but most of the time it's like a six-digit code. And so whenever this comes out, I always put forth the challenge to anyone out there to consider memorizing as much of the list as you can. And when I was thinking of that, um, it reminded me of a book I read, and I think I probably put on the I Dare You Tos of shows long ago during the early part of the pandemic. A book called Moonwalking with Einstein. The Art and Science of Remembering Everything. And it was a book that, <laughs> it's, it's almost 10 years old now, uh, by author uh, Joshua Four, F-O-E-R, that is. Um, I can't remember if I heard about it on a C-SPAN book TV thing or something else. But, you know, it's all about remembering. And what made me uh, tie this into our release of the federal school code list was that one of the uh, things that happens in the book is the author meets with a variety of people who train and then compete on memory retention and the skills that they use to do this and to memorize everything from long lists of numbers to playing card sequences. So maybe these uh, type of skills would be very useful if you'd like to memorize some of the I don't even know, three or 4,000 or more schools on the federal school code list. So I'll give you a link to both of those in the show notes. Continuing on from there, um, announcement put out in an article by NASFA on their website is that the Department of Ed last week announced it was going to end contracts with private collection agencies that it uses to recoup payments from borrowers with defaulted student loans. So in a statement provided to NASFA from Department of Ed, said that they had notified private collection agencies that it will recall the federal student loans the companies hold and end the relationship with them. Apparently, as they say, this is step one in a long-term strategy to improve defaulted federal student loan collections and help FSA more effectively support borrowers who are at risk of defaulting on their student loans. Uh, FSA Chief Operating Officer Richard Cordray says this step will help us streamline the process for all customers to get assistance with any federal student aid issue and operate more efficiency, uh, efficiently. So this will be a interesting step. This is, of course, separate from all the changes going on with loan servicers. But again, it changes some of the strategy of how Department of Ed handles student loans and in particular, in this case, students who have that's with the department because of defaulted student loans. So we'll see how that goes. Before we go on with any more, I'm going to do a real quick musical interlude for us so we can go on to the last of the few news items. And again, keep our show nice and short and sweet.
So unless you're drinking really fast, this second cup is probably coming quicker than normal. In my case, I've brewed uh, coffee uh, at the 10-ounce level instead of 8-ounce earlier in the day with my K-cup machine here in the office. So I can't even get to a real second cup quite yet. But we do have a second load here of news to report. Something I found out at the Post-Secondary Value Commission website, uh, as it was quoted in a, a couple of articles, actually, they have out there what's called their Equitable Value Explorer. And this is an interactive dashboard that allows users to analyze and compare institutions against the post-secondary value framework. You know, you can explore the data, understand how institutions create value. And so much of this, and uh, again, it's a very interesting data tool they have, shows you kind of breaks down like median earnings based upon institution or percent of students or uh, percent of students receiving Pell at a school, looks at different academic programs and a variety of other things. So um, it seems uh, fairly interesting here um, as far as what happens. You know, and, and again, it's a big chart that's interactive. So, oh, here's one I know. University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, public school, four-year school, 35% of students apparently here receive Pell Grant. Overall median earnings 10 years after initial enrollment are a little over 46000 um, So they're past whatever this threshold number is. Earnings compared to the threshold overload. I'm, again, some other numbers here. Uh, but they give you some of these things, including cumulative net price. An idea here is that you can start weighing out the return on your money, especially if you're borrowing on your education from an institution or potentially from academic programs within a school. So we'll give you that. And then one more that's kind of related is there's another one that comes out from the Department of Ed called the College Scorecard. And so this is another, this was quoted in, in uh, the East Bay Times from up in the East Bay of California, you know, right outside San Francisco, Oakland, etc. The article was, this community college degree can earn you $113,000. This Stanford one, just $24,000. And so the subline there is, experts say tools like the college scorecard can help dispel myths and con misconceptions about higher ed. So, you know, here, here's the two programs that they do uh, look at. So students apparently in Stanford University's English program can expect to earn roughly $24,000 two years after graduating. Whereas down the street at Foothill College, if they have an associate degree in allied health diagnostic intervention and treatment professions, they can start at $113,000. So very interesting here as it breaks this down. And this all comes from what's called the college scorecard. It's something that the uh, Department of Ed, by collecting data from schools and their programs and the aid students receive and all kinds of variety of information, can do these type of estimates of what programs really have good payoff. <clears throat> so it's certainly worthwhile looking into 
uh, for two reasons. One, for students who are looking at particular schools. Uh, and then second, looking at specific programs at schools. So if you know you wanted to be an English major, would that program at Stanford that we just talked about have as re, uh, good of a return as, say, down the street, UC Berkeley, or even somewhere outside the area, like UC Santa Cruz, so, you know, or far outside the state. So students can really start to hone in on, again, schools where, and for a variety of reasons, the return on their money for a particular degree, even if not across the board, is good. Are there schools that stick out? Or does it mean that you start to look at different majors in a different light and pick accordingly? Not that everything's about money, but the reality is if you're investing a significant amount of your money and or time, and it's probably both, you want to make sure that you're getting a good return. Makes me think of an article from the Wall Street Journal, not the one I'm going to quote here in a second, but there was one just today talking about um, a master's degree program at a Southern California private nonprofit institution, a fairly large university in Southern California. And the not quite high returns for students from this master's degree, partly because of program and again, partly because of the cost factor. So things to keep in mind, you know, when you're looking at colleges, looking at programs, uh, again, it's not all about money. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more to that, to the college experience and to your life, but it is something that has to play in, I'm sure. So the article that I am going to talk about briefly is from the Wall Street Journal. So you might have to pay to get into this. Uh, you'll have to do your best. I can't share my password, everybody. Sorry. But it's called FAFSA May Be Tricky This Year for College Students and Parents. And it's stuff that we've talked about quite a bit already. Um, you know, good quotes here. I don't see anything wrong, which is good, because you never know if the reporter is someone from higher ed or not. But it's pretty good. You know, it talks about, you know, it's FAFSA time again. Came out October 1st. The 2022-23 FAFSA is available really for our high school seniors and those continuing on into the fall of 2022. And that it's using 2020 tax return information. But we obviously know that some families' uh, financial circumstances might be much, much worse off since 2020, even if 2020 wasn't that good. You know, continued unemployment, other things caused by the pandemic, lockdowns, etc. So, as it says here, which is exactly what we would tell students, it says here, you know, if you have all these things, families should contact the financial aid office of schools they're applying to or attending and ask them if their circumstances can be taken into account. And it gives you, in this nice article, all the possibility of things, you know, collecting unemployment, proof of unemployment, uh, other things that might be related to natural disasters, say you had out-of-pocket expenses related to that, that certainly could be something. Un, uh, uncovered, uh, uninsured costs, you know, in other words, out-of-pocket costs for medical-type circumstances, situations. These are things that a financial aid office can take into account. And what we can do is we can look at it in light of what information is on the student's FAFSA. Because, again, it would be income from 2020. 
But there's no one on there to talk about unemployment, losses of jobs, etc. That's where the college financial aid office can step in and make some adjustments sometimes. So definitely a worthwhile article to read. Um, I'm not going to say much more than that. Uh, again, if uh, I'll just say that Wall Street Journal I do pay for because it's worthwhile uh, sometimes to pay for your news, even though this is not going to be my I dare you to option. Uh, maybe in another day or maybe I've already done that one. I can't remember. And thinking of I can't remember, I do remember it's time for a little bit of music before we get into our last segment. And of course, just like that, as this show moves along, we're moving on into our last sip. And a little bit of uh, punditry or punditry or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I played there as far as uh, remembering that it was time for music because thinking back to my first book that I mentioned just a little bit ago when I was talking about that FSA or Federal School Codeless and the book Moonwalking with Einstein uh, reminded me that there's a couple other books out there about memory. And this, uh, you know, is something to keep in mind. Uh, there's two books I remember. One uh, came up on a book TV called Forgetting the Benefits of Not Remembering. And this was a book put out in July by Scott Small. And so as it talks about, uh, he's, a, he's a memory researcher, explains why forgetfulness is, forgetfulness is not only normal, but also beneficial. And he talks through a number of things here as far as memory and why, again, he focused on uh, patients who experience pathological forgetting and it, uh, in contrast to suffering that might come along without forgetting. So it's, it's a kind of complicated book, but uh, certainly one that I may buy. I have not bought it yet, but I am making it a I dare you to if you want to pick it up. We'll have a link in the show notes. The other book that uh, came to mind was, um, oh, my goodness, I hope I haven't forgot my link already but uh it was another book on forgetting the benefits of not remembering that was the one we just talked about and again there was another one that i've already uh lost a link to but it was on something similar to that it was called remember here's a funnier one not funny but uh, uh similar called Remember, The Science of Memory and the Art of Forgetting. Uh, this book came out in uh, springtime in March by Lisa Genova. Or Genova. Uh, and her book, you know, is an exploration of how we remember, why we forget, and what we can do to protect memories. And so she takes it from a whole different perspective. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, as you get older and your memory starts to go, sometimes it's good to have a few answers out there. Is, is this uh, all bad? No. Or why is it happening? And are there things to do that you can fix it without, you know, taking uh, weird, uh, weird combinations of drugs and herbs uh, or whatever you do? But it is something, uh, you know, uh, it comes in, it comes to my mind when it does come to my mind of things that I think about. So I'll put those two book uh, links into the show note, show notes for today. But that's really all we have time for today. Like I said, I was going to make it a short show. 
Um, uh, but don't worry, there's always our next episode. And as I was saying, speaking of which, uh, we'll not have a show this Friday as I'll be away from campus and Thursday being a holiday. So we'll see you then next week again on another bunch of shows. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning into today's show. And if you have something to say or you have topics you want us to discuss, email us at wbcsa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing CISFA podcasts on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, which is a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 137, recorded Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. Have a great day and have a great week.